now uh, several weeks into our Apocalypse series. And uh, we spent four weeks looking through the book of Daniel, or actually Ezekiel. This morning we're going to be in Daniel. And uh, I want to give you just a little bit of an introduction, just so we have some idea, some context of, of who Daniel was and uh, what he was doing and what the book is like. Uh, Daniel was a, a prophet to Israel during their time in captivity uh, in Babylon uh, under King Nebuchadnezzar. And if you could spell Nebuchadnezzar without looking, uh, then that is quite impressive uh, if you're able to do that. And also, you are probably Bible quizzers, and nobody likes Bible quizzers. So, show offs. Um, so Daniel's a great book about faith. Uh, in fact, uh, much of his reason for writing, much of Daniel's reason for writing, and much of his prophetic word that he had to share uh, with the nation of Israel was to convince his fellow captives, right? He's in captivity with the nation of Israel, uh, was to convince his fellow captives that it was possible to have an active faith in God despite captivity. Now, that's going to be really important for us this morning as we look at that. But when we, when we look at the book of Daniel, we need to realize that, that yes, it includes some uh, weird vision stuff and some weird prophetic stuff, just like what we saw in Ezekiel. But, but primarily, this book is really about a, a book of, of great faith that's trying to tell us that in the midst of captivity... In the midst of the times when things aren't going the way that you would want, in the midst of times when you're facing great challenge and great difficulty, as the nation of Israel was uh, in captivity, it's possible to have an active faith in God. It's possible to have a lively faith in the God who loves you. That's Daniel's primary message that he wants to share. And he, he also, he essentially wanted to tell them that, that faith doesn't have to flounder on the waves of our circumstances, but can be secure in the faithfulness of God. Isn't that good? Uh, I mean, when we come to the end of this study, that's one thing uh, uh, in this book of Daniel, that's what I hope that you understand, is that, that our faith doesn't have to be up and down with the ebb and flow of our circumstances, but can be secure in the faithfulness of God. And so I, I believe that God wants to encourage you today. Uh, and I have a word that I, I believe is going to help you. Uh, so now Daniel, again, also includes some, some weird vision stuff, weird visions and, and prophetic stuff like Ezekiel did. And, and we're going to get to that. In fact, the next two weeks are going to be some of these visions where you got beasts coming out of the sea and all kinds of just weird stuff. And it's going to be a lot of fun. But we wanted to come back and uh, I wanted to give you a break from some of that stuff. And uh, today I just want to talk to you about faith. Um, but let me set up our passage this morning. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 3, verses 8 through 18. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Daniel chapter 3, verses 8 through 18. It'll be up on the screen. Uh, for those of you that have smartphones or tablets uh, that have the Version Bible app, feel free to get those out right now. Uh, we actually provide the passage on there, and then we publish the sermon notes. And you can actually add sermon notes of your own. Email it to yourself or for, you know, put it in a journal or something like that. Uh, so it's a, it's a tool that we provide, so you can do that as well. Uh, but we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3. Let me just briefly set up this passage, though. Um, in this time, uh, kings were cocky. And, and King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, wanted to make sure that everyone knew that he was as great as he thought he was. And so in, in Daniel chapter 3, or leading up to Daniel chapter 3, uh, he has a golden statue of himself uh, erected in Babylon so that whenever music was played, everyone in the kingdom had to bow down and worship this, this statue uh, of, of the king. Like I said, kings were cocky. Uh, there were three, though, who refused to do this, and uh, their names were Shadrach, Meshach, 
and Abednego. Now, the parents in, in this room are like, you mean their name isn't Rackshack and Benny? I thought for sure Veggie Tales were like really accurate biblical portrayals of the story. So, uh, so it's not Rackshack and Benny. Uh, it's Shadrach, Meshach, and uh, Abednego. Now, as I was studying, I like to give you just these little tidbits of, of stuff that doesn't really matter. I've always thought it was Abend-ego, like N-D, but it's actually Abed-nego. Ha-ha. How about that? So put that in your notes for safekeeping. Abednego. Abednego. I'm going to say Abednego if you guys don't mind because it's just easier. Okay, so there we go. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to the golden statue. They were friends of Daniel. Uh, Daniel was held, a high, was held in high regard in the king's court. And as his friends, so were uh, Rakshak and Benny. And uh, then these three were also given responsibility in the kingdom and, and uh, favored by the king. Okay, so that's just a little bit of setup of this story. Uh, but we'll find out that the king's feelings toward these three churn very quickly um, as we read this. So I want to read Daniel chapter 3, uh, verses 8 through 18. It says this. Now at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews... And they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, um, the harp, the pipe, the djembe, the guitar, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there were some Jews whom you have set over affairs in the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Furious with rage, then Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is this true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all the kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image, of God, uh, image I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, then you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If the God that we serve is able to deliver us, then he will deliver us from the blazing furnace and from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Now, that's all that I want to read, but I want to tell you the rest of the story uh, after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say this to the king. The king gets even more furious, demands that the, the, the furnace be uh, made four times hotter than normal, throws them in, and then once, uh, once they're in the fire, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar says, now weren't there only three men that we threw into the fire, but I see a fourth, and uh, that in fact is the Spirit of God. I mean, there's lots of arguments, but God was with them in the furnace, that's the main point. And when they came out of the furnace, not only were they alive, but they didn't even smell like smoke. And so God delivered them miraculously. But I want to talk to you this morning about this phrase, even 
if he does not. Even if he does not. When I was, um, when I was growing up, I had this, uh, this growth on my left knee. It's about to get real personal up in here, all right? Like any story that starts, I had this growth, you just, just, just watch out, okay? So, so when I was growing up, I had this growth on my left knee, and it would sort of ache from time to time, but it was never really very bad until one day uh, I was wrestling with my older brother, the middle one, and uh, I don't know if we were wrestling or if he was beating me up. My memory's a bit foggy on that, uh, but probably he's here today, so... He was beating me up. Okay, so that, I mean, there's no doubt about that. I was the, I'm the youngest, I'm the baby, so um, when, they, when my brothers beat me up, I just laugh. I just think it's funny. They are legitimately beating me up, but I just, I can't help but laugh. So um, it was funny. So we were having a great time. What, he, what happened was, though, in this time when he was, was wrestling or, or beating me, um, he hit this bump, growth, mass thing. On my knee. And it sent pain to the signals of my brain that I had never experienced before. I mean, it was excruciating pain. And so, you know, I'm a normal guy, so when you experience excruciating pain, you know, your natural reaction is, I should probably get that checked out. So I I went and got that checked out, and the doctor said, oh, yeah, we should remove it. You know, it seems to, you know, it's been there a long time, and it's, you know, in the way, and... I want you to be, you know, I want you to continue to be able to get beat up by your brother. So let's take it off. Let's let's remove it. So during the biopsy, they 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 realized that it wasn't a cyst uh, as they had originally thought, but actually it was a malignant tumor in my knee. And so at age 18, I was diagnosed with leiomyosarcoma, uh, which is a type of cancer. And um, I got to tell you, man, that that is a bad day. That's a bad day. When you go to the doctor and you're, you're in kind of post-surgery follow-up and, and just trying to figure out what is going on and I have all this pain, and um, uh, when, you, when you realize and you hear that scary, you know, C word uh, at the age of 18. And so our family began to pray, and we began to, to send out, you know, prayer chains in our church and, and extended family and everything, and we began to pray for healing. Now, upon diagnosis, there was this, there was a bit of an uncertainty. There was a period of uncertainty where we didn't know uh, if the cancer had spread all over my body, because remember, I, for as long as I could remember, this thing was on my knee, and it turns out that it was cancer, so do I actually have cancer all over my body? I mean, there was this, there was this season of uncertainty, and, and, and I have to tell you this morning that to God be the glory, God was, was faithful, that even though this, 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 this tumor had been on my knee for over 10 years, by my best estimate, that the cancer was localized just to that, to, just to that tumor and just to my knee. And, and I have to tell you that during that time, my, my dad and my whole family prayed for me. And, and I remember dad coming to me in this, this time of uncertainty and, and me trying to just sort of forge my own identity. And I'm, I'm getting ready to go off to college and I've got to embrace this whole idea that I have cancer and, 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 and all of these kinds of things going on. And my, my dad came to me one day and, and he said, the Lord Lord had given him a scripture for my situation, and it was Psalm 91, and it says this, those who love me, I will deliver. 
I will protect those who know my name. And when they call on me, I will answer them. And I will be with them in times of trouble. I will rescue them. I will honor them. And then this is the part that was, was so meaningful to me. Because anytime you attach the, the C word to your life, you automatically begin thinking about end-of-life issues. And so the, the Lord gave my dad this this passage of scripture, with long life, I will satisfy them and I will show them my salvation. And man, in that moment, that, that, that passage meant so much to me. And in times, uh, I have to tell you that, again, to God be the glory, there was no chemo, there was no radiation, there was just this really awesome knee surgery where they replaced my patella tendon with a cadaver tendon. There, I said it. Okay, I told you it was going to get awkward. Okay. But it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a biopsy and then a surgery. And, there, and now 14 years later, there's been, there have been no signs of cancer again. And God answered our prayers for healing. And you know what? Some of you have stories like that. Some of you have stories where, where you needed God's rescue. You needed God's intervention. And he came through. He showed himself. He displayed himself in a powerful way. And brought healing and brought rescue. Just like he did for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Eleven years after my diagnosis, my dad, who prayed for me, who the Lord gave the scripture for Psalm 91, was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. And given three to six months to live. And our family's like, oh, we got this. Because we've been through this before. And, and Andy got through it, and it's all good. Like, we, we know the formula. We just got to pray. We got to send out some prayer chains. We got to do this. And so that's what we did. We, we, got, the, we got our church on board. Uh, many of you, if you were part of this church, as, as, as we were going through that, we called on you to pray for my dad. And, 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 and we, were, we were praying, and it was, it was awesome, and, and we were praying for healing. And then, and then a few months later, dad was feeling great, and, and we got the report from the doctor. They can't find any cancer. And so we're praising the Lord and, and we're thanking him for his healing and, and all this great stuff. And we praise God for his healing. And then a month after that, dad went back to the doctor because he wasn't feeling so well. And the cancer was back. And I want to show a picture of, of my family. Uh, so, Scott, if you could put that up. This is during a season of, of uh, dad's journey with cancer where he was feeling really well. And that's him sitting on the, on, the, on the bench in the white shirt holding Jaden. And uh, there we are. Many of the members of the, the family are, the, are here this morning. But, um, you know, we were just celebrating God's goodness and God's faithfulness and God's healing. Here, here's one of my mom and dad. Here's a little better picture. Laughing, having a good time. So after we were praising the Lord for, for healing and no more cancer and cancer is gone, a month later, dad goes back to the doctor not feeling well, the cancer is back. And then three years after his original diagnosis, he collapsed at home and passed away 36 hours later. And for some of you, that's... Your story. You prayed for a miracle. And the evidence says that it never really came. Some of you have, have, a, have a prodigal child and you've been praying that they'll come home and they don't. 
Some of you have been praying that your business will be successful, but you struggle to make ends meet, and now you don't know if it's time to shut it down or whether you should just keep going. You prayed for healing and it never came. You asked God for direction in your life, but he was silent. You prayed for a miracle that never came. You prayed for God to provide in your life, but you lost the house. Or you went without dinner last night. And so you're praying and asking God, I need rescue. I need intervention. I need you to show up. But all the evidence around you says that God didn't show up. God didn't answer your prayer. And so the question and what I want to talk to you this morning about is in those moments when it seems like God doesn't, how do we have faith? How do we have faith? How do we have the kind of faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had that says, even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, there's three principles from this story that I think are are going to be helpful to you. Three truths from this story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that I want to share with you. And if you want to write these down, this, like if you're a note-taking person and, and you like just very straightforward, point number one, two, and three, this is your day. I have tailored this sermon for you. Uh, so note-takers rejoice uh, and, and full participation here. So point number one, okay, is this. Faith is not a formula. Faith is not a formula. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in their statement, when they say, we need God to rescue us, we refuse to worship these other gods, we're facing death from a king who used to like us, we used to find favor in his eyes, now he is furious against us, so furious he's going to send the furnace hotter than ever before, and, and so we're facing death, and we need God to deliver us, and I, and I want you to read in this story that they're not questioning the ability of God, but, but rather have great faith in the ability of God, but are willing to say God is able, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, in that moment when they say, if our God is able to deliver us, and I want you to add in your mind, and he is, right? They're not questioning God's ability, but rather they're placing their faith directly in God. If God is able to deliver us, and he is, but even if he doesn't, we will refuse to bow to your statue. In this moment, when they they add this phrase, even if he does not, they are showing that one of the most popular beliefs about faith simply is not true. And the popular belief about faith is that faith is a formula. Right? Remember our family? Andy's had cancer. Andy's been healed through all this. We got it. We got this. We know exactly what to do. If we just pray this certain amount, if we just send prayer chains out to do this, if we just kind of do all of these things, if we just follow the same formula that we did last time, everything will be good. All we got to do is pray, send it out, get a scripture from God, and we'll be good. Faith, though, is not a formula because here's what happens. Some people will tell you that if you have enough faith, then it will happen to you or it won't happen to you. And they say, well, the reason that you don't have enough money at the end of the month is because you don't have enough faith. Or or someone might say to you, the reason that you're sick right now is not because it's cold season and, and, and preschool is like a Petri dish. That's not the reason you're sick. It's because you don't have enough faith. 
if you would just send your kids to the Petri dish with faith, they wouldn't get sick. In fact, let me just prove it to you. Go ahead and sneeze in my face. Right? That's like the kid that said, I'm not allergic to poison ivy. Let me show you. And he ate it. And then he had a bad day. You know? Some people will say, if we just have enough faith, this wouldn't happen to you. You know, you wouldn't have been laid off if you had enough faith. You wouldn't have a crazy son or a crazy boss if you had enough faith. And some people will will say faith is, is a formula. If you just have faith to a certain degree, it will equal your intended outcome. But God is much bigger than that. God is much bigger than turning your and I faith in him and into a formula. And in fact, I would argue that this actually damages faith. When was the last time someone came to you and said, man, I know, I know that you're going through a difficult time right now, but if you just had enough faith, you wouldn't, it wouldn't be happening to you. When, when, the last time someone said to you, that to you, how many of you were like, yeah, all right. I think he's right. You know what? I'm really encouraged right now. Oh, that's awesome, dude. Thanks for that good word. No. You go away either angry or perhaps more realistically, you walk away guilty because you couldn't muster enough faith to get the intended outcome. You see, I think this perspective of faith actually damages faith because here's what it leads to. It leads us to having faith in our own ability to have faith. Man, if you just have enough faith, and so it doesn't happen, and we say, oh, I must not have had enough faith. So we go to the next challenge, right? Because it's coming. It's right around the bend. The next challenge is, is on its way, right? And so we get there, and then we, we, we with sort of a, a, a guilty attitude, we say, oh, last time I, I didn't have enough faith. And so this time I need to have enough faith. I need to have more faith. This is even worse when we hear the words of Jesus in our heart that if we just have the fa- faith the size of a mustard seed, we could move a mountain. And I'm like, I'm not trying to move a mountain. I'm just trying to make ends meet at the end of the month. So I can't even muster enough faith the size of a mustard seed. And we're guilty. And we're putting our faith in our own ability to have faith rather than in the faithfulness of God. You see, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were facing death in a fiery furnace, they weren't concerned about having enough faith in their own faith. And they weren't concerned about mustering up their own faith. They were absolutely sure in the faithfulness of God. That regardless of what happens, if they will walk in obedience to him, he will be faithful and see them through whatever it is. And so when when given the opportunity to run against God and serve idols or be obedient to God and and, and keep worshiping him, they say, I'm going to walk down obedience and then be secure in the faithfulness of my God rather than being concerned about my own ability to have faith. Are you with me this morning? Is this helping you? Man, this is a good word because what I see so often is guilty Christians going through some kind of some really tough stuff thinking that it's their fault because they don't have enough faith. And and I will tell you that this theory gets totally torn down 
when the faithful one, Jesus Christ himself, is nailed to the cross. And then his disciples who followed him were killed because of their faith. Right? I mean, if you, if you just read the scripture and you see the, the difficulty that people had because of their faith, then we can never say that because of our faith or if we have enough faith that we'll avoid difficulty. It just simply does not work biblically. And so our faith is not in our ability to have faith. Our faith is in the faithfulness of God. Let me drive this home a little bit more. There's a constant biblical theme, and it is this. The Bible, if you take the Bible as a whole, if you see this thing not as a textbook by which you can pull out certain propositional truths that you can fit on a bumper sticker or a refrigerator magnet, but if you see this thing truly as a story, which is what it is, then you begin to realize that it is essentially a story of a faithless people being rescued and redeemed by the faithful God. Amen? That's what this book is about. That's what this story is about. And in fact, that's what my story is about. And I hate to say it, that's what your story is about. Your story is about your faithlessness and being rescued and redeemed by a faithful God. It is a faithful God who didn't give up on Adam and Eve, even though they rebelled against him in the garden. It was a faithful God who preserved a faithless humanity through a man named Noah and the ark. It was a faithful God who raised up Abraham to bring about his purposes of redemption in the world and raise up a nation through which the faithful one, Jesus Christ, would come. It was a faithful God who raised up Moses to bring the people of God out of slavery in Egypt. It was a faithful God who fed and cared for this faithless nation that longed to return to their slavery. It was a faithful God who raised up judges to deliver this freed nation who had become lost in its disobedience. It was a faithful God who raised up a king named David, and it was a faithful God who, out of the line of David, would bring the faithful one, Jesus Christ, who would rescue the world from their sin and death through his death on the cross. Oh, come on, somebody. The biblical story is about a faithless people being rescued and redeemed by the faithful God. So when we look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we say, how in the world could they have faith that would say, even if he does not? It's because their faith lies secure in the faithfulness of God. And so I believe that today, some of you, this morning, some of you are facing a difficult situation and you are walking through it trying to ha- muster up enough faith in your own ability to have enough faith. And that is a faith misdirected. Take all of your, your, your trying and your effort to put faith in your own faith and just direct it into the face of the faithful God who loves you and place your faith squarely and securely on him. And if we have that level of confidence in the faithfulness of God, in any situation that we face, we can have a faith in him that says, even if he does not. That was number one. Number two. Number one, faith is not a formula. Number two, sometimes the miracle is around us. Other times the miracle is in us. Sometimes the miracle is around us. 
Other times the miracle is in us. Now, miracle around us. This is precisely what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego experienced, right? They prayed. They, were, they had, faith, they had faith, faith in the faithful God. And so they, they went into the fiery furnace. God joins them there. They're rescued out. They're pulled out. In fact, the, the, the Bible says that the furnace was so hot that the soldiers that put them into the furnace themselves were singed and burned to death. And yet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked into the fiery furnace, was, were joined by the very presence of God in that place, and came out, and they didn't even smell like smoke. And I just feel like that's God, like, cocking his hip and letting his backbone slip. You know what I'm saying? Like, God's just kind of like, check that out. I got it, you know? And they didn't even smell like smoke. You know, it's like God trash talking. Okay? And some of you tonight are going to be like, hold on, cock his hip and let his backbone slip. That's good, okay? Some of you are going to catch it on, you're going to catch on to it later tonight. Okay? So that, that's like God sort of having an attitude, right? And, and so I, I love that part when they didn't even smell like smoke. And the, and the miracle happened all around them because what happens after that? King Nebuchadnezzar says, hold on, may all of Babylon. Worship the true God, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he goes back on his decree that says, look how awesome I am, and let's worship the idol in my image, and let's redirect all that worship to the one true God. The miracle was happening all around them. And then they themselves, the story ends by saying they themselves were, were, were promoted to a higher place in the kingdom, given greater responsibility in Babylon. I mean, the miracle was happening all around them. And I have to tell you that that's my story. That, that when I was healed, I, I had people all around me giving God glory for what he had done and in my life and his protection in my life. And, and I had... I, I had just, you know, I just graduated high school. I was on my way to college. It was during that summer that all of this went down. And so uh, word began to get back to my hometown about what Andy was going through. And Andy had cancer and all this. And I had unchurched high school friends saying that they were praying for me and beginning to open themselves up to a greater level of spirituality. The miracle was happening all around me. And so sometimes... When we pray and we ask God for a business to be successful, for the prodigal child to come home, he answers those prayers and the, and the miracle happens all around us. But you know what? Sometimes the miracle doesn't necessarily happen around us, but it happens in us. The greatest example of this is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is, is the greatest preacher, besides Jesus, and church planter in the history of the world. I mean, he, he just, Christianity exploded primarily because of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Most of your New Testament is written by the Apostle Paul. And yet, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians how he had a thorn in his flesh. And he was praying and praying and asking God that God would take away this thorn in his flesh. And we don't know what it is. There's lots of speculation. Some people think it's a health-related issue. Other people would, would narrow that down even further and say that he had problems with his eyesight and couldn't see very well. And there's, there's all kinds of... Uh, the Bible never really says what this thorn in his flesh is, but, but it's, it's what we, what's very clear is that he has something that he wants to get rid of. And, and, you know, as a preacher and as a pastor and as a leader, 
leader, I can certainly uh, imagine the kinds of prayers that he would pray to God. I can imagine Paul saying, look, 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 Lord, if you would just get rid of this thing, if you would just heal me of this, uh, of this disease, then I'd be way more effective for your kingdom. I'd be able to do even more travels. I'd be able to plant more churches. I'd be able to preach even better and even longer. I thought I'd for sure I'd hear an amen there. And so I'd be able to do all these things, the Apostle Paul, right? I can hear those sorts of prayers. Like, if you would just do this for me, what could I do for you? And I'll bet many of you have prayed that. Man, if you would just do this for me, what would I be able to do for you? And the scripture says that the Lord never took Paul's thorn away. But it does say that Paul realized that the miracle wasn't around him. It was in him. And 2 Corinthians 2.19 says Paul came to the realization. Sorry, 2 Corinthians 12.9 says this. The miracle was in him. He, Paul learned this lesson. God's grace is sufficient for me. Let me ask you, in this time, when you're praying for God to show up, when you're praying and asking God to intervene, to rescue, to heal, what is he doing in you? What are you allowing him to do in you? Now, now I'm not naive enough to say that sometimes... It's just the miracle is around us, or it's just the miracle is in us. Sometimes the grace and the beauty of God is all-encompassing, and he answers the miracle around us. He does a miracle in us, and it is a beautiful thing. But we've got to come to grips with this idea that the ways of God are beyond our own. And some of you might come to me as your pastor and say, why does this happen? Why did this happen? And you know what? In those moments of honesty, and I have said this to some of you, I have looked you straight in the eye, and I say, I don't. No, but let's rest confidently in the faithfulness of a God who is good. Amen? I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why God would allow this. But, but let me ask you in this time, when you're praying for a miracle, what is God doing in you? What is God doing in you? Because there's a very good chance that he wants to do a miracle in you, not just around you. So that's the second point. Sometimes the miracle is around us, and other times the miracle is in us. Number three, faith is a way of life that declares God reigns. Faith is a way of life that declares God reigns. You know, it would, be very, it would have been very easy for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, having coming under the political pressure that they were, to, to follow a different God, to bow down to an idol. It would have been, been very easy for them to sort of rationalize their way out, right? Like, like if I just bow down this one time, or if I, if I just do this but continue to pray privately, but do this publicly, uh, then, then I'll be able to uh, maintain my... my uh, favor before the king, which means I could maintain my witness and I could do all of these things. And so I'm just going to mix a little bit of, 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 of idol in here and I'm just going to mix a little bit of, of, of God worship over here. And, and faith is a way of life that declares God reigns and my allegiance is with him alone. 
And it's, it, so, so first of all, this idea of God reigning is this, this idea that this, there's so many ways in which I wonder how many times we're tempted with the same thing that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, which is, and if you just, if you just add a little bit of like cultural ex- worship, you know, what's culturally accepted as worship over here, but then maintain your private devotional life. Like if you sort of had this like popular generic spirituality in public, but then have a fully Christian devotional life, then that would be okay. Because, you know, you don't want to be unpopular or you don't want to be cast out or you don't want to be all these other things. Faith is a way of life that says my allegiance lies squarely in a God who reigns. But there's this other part of that, and that is that if we're sure that God reigns in our life, then, then that leads us to a certainty in the faithfulness of God. And it also is this, and this is what I want to drive home in, in, in point number three, that this, this idea that God reigns is a confidence that God's future is secure. And that future is a future in which God is making all things new. Right? Remember the story, this biblical story is of a faithless people being redeemed and rescued by a faithful God. And so God's future is one of redemption and renewal and restoration. And having a faith that is secure in God's future leads to a a faith that can say, even if he doesn't right now, even if he doesn't right here, even if he doesn't in the way that I'm hoping he will or expecting him to or think that he will, even if he doesn't, that doesn't mean that God's future is all of a sudden in question. Do you see what I'm getting at? That, That if we can have this hope that lies in the certainty of God's future but allow that to live into our lives today, then faith is a way of life that declares God reigns. So whatever's going on around me, right? We started this by saying our faith is not dependent upon the waves of our circumstances, but is, is secure in the faithfulness of God. So that whatever's going on around me, whatever my circumstances say, if I, if I live a life of faith that declares that God reigns and his future is secure, then I can say with confidence, I will believe that God is good. I will believe that he is sovereign. I will believe that God can be trusted. And I will refuse to trade in faith in God for faith in an idol. Because oftentimes that is our choice, isn't it? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were so sure of who God is that they were not going to trade their faith in God for idol worship. And and let me ask you, if you're right on the brink of turning against God and turning your faith against God because he seems to be silent, because that miracle that you've been praying for isn't happening, and you're right on the brink, what? let me ask you, what are you going to trade your faith in God for? Faith in yourself? Faith in your own ability? Faith in someone else's ability? You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were aware of the alternative. 
I'm going to trade faith in the one true God for faith in a golden image, in the image of a king whose kingdom will fall and who will not be king forever. And that was a trade they were not willing to make. And I would encourage us to do the same. That when we're sitting in, in the moment of decision, do I maintain faith in the faithful God or do I trade it in for something else? I want to encourage you to really consider what are you trading that faith in for? Like if you don't put your faith in the faithful God who loves you, what is the alternative? Where else will your faith be? And so faith is a way of life that says God reigns. Three points. Faith is not a formula. Sometimes the miracle is around us. Other times it's in us. And faith is a way of life that declares God reigns. Now, I want to end the message this morning um, by talking to you about the, the political implications of this passage. Now, I know that you're not supposed to talk about politics, but the election is Tuesday, and uh, I want to give us some perspective. And uh, I want to talk to you just for a few moments about what should our response be or what should our actions be or what should our perspective be as Christians as we head to a very important election for our country. But the faith of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego declared this reality. Actually, let me say this too. They had already won the victory over their situation before they were ever thrown in the fiery furnace. And it was because of their reliance and their faith in the faithful God, even if he doesn't. That alone is what infuriated the king to say, let's, let's heat the furnace four times hotter because the king knew that there was nothing he could do to defeat them. Man, that's a good word. How many of you are facing a situation that you feel like is going to totally defeat you and yet God wants to say, if you will have faith in my faithfulness, that situ- there's no way you already have victory over that situation before you ever are thrown into the furnace of that situation, before that situation ever does its full damage on you or tries to do its full damage on you. You already have victory over it. Man, that's good news. Because so many of us wait until we're in the fiery furnace to activate our faith. But man, if we can walk through life with the kind of faith that says, I am not going to trade in my faith for faith in some idol. I'm going to have my faith in the faithfulness of God, even if he does not. That's when they won the victory. Nothing the king could do in their life would defeat them. That's when the victory was already won. The, the whole thing about rescuing from the furnace, that's just all, that's just all you know, icing on the cake because they had already won the victory through that kind of faith that even if he does not. And implicit in all of that message was this. There is an authority that is higher than King Nebuchadnezzar. That's what infuriated the king is they were making an implicit statement about his authority and saying there is a higher authority. There is, an, there is someone 
that, who has my higher allegiance than you do. Yes, I'm willing to serve in the kingdom. Yes, I'm willing to be highly favored by you. But ultimately, my allegiance does not lie in you. And that infuriated the king. Listen, church. As we walk into this election, and as we walk through this political season, I don't know what side of the political line you fall on, but I hope that together we can say there is an authority higher than that of the President of the United States. And I have a higher allegiance than I do to the United States of America because my allegiance belongs to the kingdom of God. I want to walk us through... um, something that will help us to gather around the Lord's table this morning, but do it in such a way that will give us some political perspective. Uh, there's, a very, there's a great movement going, going, going on among churches called Election Day Communion, and it's, it's a way of saying that during this season that is so divisive, both in our country and in the church, let's gather in unity around the Lord's table. And so I want to give us a a full communion liturgy this morning, but with an election day um, and and kind of political perspective this morning to close out the message. The election season is one of the most divisive times in our country and in the church. And in light of this division, we are going to participate this morning in, in the most unifying sacrament, the sacrament of communion. This political season, may we be reminded that our hope does not lie in a man that holds an office, but in the Son of God who carried the cross. May we remember that healing is found found in Christ, not in policy. And that Christ is the foundation of our hope, not a candidate. So whoever wins the election on Tuesday, may our faith not be shaken. May our hope be ever secure. And may the church stand together in unity as we confess our allegiance to the kingdom of God, not our allegiance to Republicans or Democrats. A timely word from the word of God for us this morning is Psalm 146. It says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will bring praise to the Lord all my life and I will sing praise to my God as long as I may live. For do not put your trust in princes or in human beings who cannot save. For when their spirit departs, they will return to the ground. And on that very day, their plans will come to nothing. But blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, and whose hope is in the Lord their God. For he is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, and he remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food for the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. And the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. And the Lord loves the righteous. And he watches over the foreigner. And he sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. For the Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. On Tuesday, all of us will exercise our right to choose. Some of us will choose to vote for Barack Obama. Some of us will choose to vote for Mitt Romney. Others will choose to vote for another candidate. Some will choose not to vote at all. 
But this morning, let's meet at the same table with the same host to remember the same things. We'll remember that real power in this world, the power to save and transform and change, ultimately rests not in political parties or presidents or protests, but in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We'll remember that through the Holy Spirit, this power dwells within otherwise ordinary people who as one body continue the mission of Jesus to preach the good news to the poor, to free the captives, to give sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the, the year of the Lord's favor. We'll remember Remember that freedom, true freedom, is given by God and is indeed not free, but it comes at a cost and it looks like a cross. We'll remember, that our, our, we'll remember our sin and our need to repent. We'll remember that the only Christian nation in this world is the church, a holy nation that crosses all human-made boundaries and borders. We'll remember that our passions are best placed within the passion of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God forever. We'll remember that we do not conform to the patterns of this world, but we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We'll remember that God's strength is made perfect in weakness, and will remember that the body of Christ, as the body of Christ, confessing the ways in which partisan politics have separated us from one another and have separated us from God. And so the world calls you to a voting booth to decide which candidate should run our country. This morning we are calling you to the bread and wine to decide once more who will run your life. So let us put away our swords and our sound bites. Let us drop our rocks and our nets and let us come together to the table that is not just for the rich and the powerful, but is also for the broken. For this is the body of Christ that has been broken for you. And this is the blood of Christ that has been shed for you. And it preserves you blameless unto everlasting life. Thanks for listening to the Emmaus Road Podcast. We hope this message has been encouraging to you. If you'd like to support the ministry of Emmaus Road, you can do so online. Just visit theroadfc.org and click online giving. 